From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Worthless Servants Podcast. I am Scott Armstrong and it is good to be back with you. Today is going to be a a good episode. I can just feel it. I I just am feeling it right here. I'm going to introduce some people before we dive into the topic. First of all, to my right this time, I'm going to go with... (laughs) Keep that in. Keep that in. Dario Riches to my right. In the house. (laughs) Across from me, Natalie Franco. Hi guys. A little less eager. Uh, <laughs> to my left, Emily Armstrong. Hey, everyone. Can you tell we're having fun? Uh, th- we Today, th- we're going to dedicate this episode and the next episode uh, to something that we do about every five, six episodes. And we're going to call this Ben Thinking, but it's just a, an excuse to say, what have we been thinking about? And we're going to, you know, there are some changes in the podcast. Uh, so we're, we're just kind of di- going to do things differently. We were sensing that when we would allow four different people to share what they were thinking, we never could really dive in to, uh, you know, and and get a little deeper on some of these topics. So we're going to dedicate two different episodes to this and let's start. I mean, let's just, let's just do this. Emily, what have you been thinking about? Yeah, I have been thinking about college for my oldest son because my son, Elijah, is, by the time this comes out, he'll be 19 years old, and he will be headed to college for the first time in his life. He um, has grown up on the mission field, and so he literally is somebody that has never lived in the United States of America, and he's going to go study in university in the United States of America. (laughs) So there's a lot of things that I have been processing both as a missionary and as a mom. And so I have like three of those things that I've written down that um, maybe some of them are new for some of us. And maybe some of them are like, oh, I would just like to know a little bit more about that. Um, One of them is Scott and I are at an interesting part and point of our missionary career. And we are career global missionaries. We're commissioned with the Church of the Nazarene. And we have been missionaries for almost 19 years. And it's been interesting to me to see how we have literally used the platform of missionary as our career. And we're starting to reap some of those benefits. The church, when you are a global commissioned missionary— the church has put a lot of structure in place so that you can do that your whole life. Like we started doing this when we were 26 years old. And I think there's a lot of people that don't recognize that there's benefits that come to dedicating your whole life to missionary service. Like what does a missionary look like when they retire? What does a missionary look like when their kids go to college? And we do have a salary that the church gives us, but it's a minimal salary. Like sending our son to college in the United States of America is very overwhelming overwhelming sometimes. And so I was just thinking about some of those benefits that maybe people don't know that we do have the benefit of being a missionary in the Church of the Nazarene. In fact, for college kids that are missionary kids, we can literally use deputation funds up to $4,000 every year to help pay for their tuition in a Nazarene university. And so we have told our kids from the day that they were born, when we started talking about universities, we're like, there's really great Nazarene universities. (laughs) We want you to go to a Nazarene university because it was the way that we would be able to help them financially. There's a lot of parents that are able to help their children financially. 
And that was the way that we're able to help Elijah financially is we have been working for years in our account, our deputation account. Literally, we've been setting aside money as we've been on home assignment and offerings come in literally to help Elijah be able to pay for a little bit of his college tuition. So for those who don't know, deputation or home assignment is a time when uh, the missionaries go back to their country of origin and uh, they speak and they raise funds. They raise funds. And many people, it's interesting, Emily, many people may not know literally until this episode, you know, wait a second, when we gave in that deputation offering, it's actually supporting missionary kids going to college. Yeah. So I think that's something that I've been thinking about and I've been very grateful for. It's helped me to see that as we've dedicated our career to missionary work with the Church of the Nazarene, we're becoming even more beneficiaries of like the structure that has been created over years and years. The Church of the Nazarene has years of creating missionary structure. And so it's been neat to be on that side of it. Something else that I've thought about is Elijah is what we call a third culture kid. And I don't know, Natalie, have you ever heard of that term before? No. No, Daria, have you heard of that term before? I think so, but no, you're going <laughs> <laughs> to. Yeah. So I thought that's maybe something else that maybe we can, you know, just talk about a little bit. A third culture kid is somebody that the easiest way to put it is like their passport is from one country, but they've grown up in another country. So it happens with military kids. It happens with like embassy kids. It happens with missionary kids. Um, it's happening with a lot of people nowadays. I think it's not just like certain subgroups of people. I think because there's so much immigration happening all over the world, there's a lot of third culture kids. Well, Elijah looks like a person from the United States because he's born from parents that are from the United States. Well, his skin looks that way. His face looks that way. His hair looks that way. He looks like somebody. His height looks that way. (laughs) He looks like he belongs right there in the United States of America. But his heart and his mind have been formed by Dominican culture. We've spent almost 10 years in this nation. And even when you ask him, where are most of your memories, even though he's lived in Guatemala, Panama, and Costa Rica, the Dominican culture has formed who he is. And so he's like, his own third culture, right? Like the Dominicans are like, well, you look like somebody from the United States and the people from the United States are like, but you think like somebody from the Dominican, like where do you fit? And so I've just been thinking about those things for my son. I cringe a little bit to think about what are the weird cultural exchanges he's going to have when he's back in the United States of people that just think, oh, you should have known that. And He just literally doesn't know because he's not been in the United States or he didn't read the same books that we read in eighth grade in the United States or, you know, he's never really learned U.S. history. He doesn't know a lot of U.S. geography and, you know, just some of the basics that that we take for granted of living in a culture. Elijah doesn't bring that with him. So I just thought it would be interesting maybe to have a little bit of a conversation about third culture kids. Mm. And obviously I'm thinking about my third culture kid, but I think we can all think about people that fit that category as well. Yeah. And the irony is like he will go and Sydney later will go to college and they will be missing out on a few things. Like there, there's going to be things that's just like a reference to some movie or uh, something that they've never seen or, you know, but at the same time, they've been 
better equipped, I would say better equipped than a lot of their peers would be to figure things out and to make their way in this crazy changing culture. Why? Because they've had to move 19 times well, because they've, <laughs> they speak multiple languages because they think about and literally have friends in so many different cultures. And so there are challenges. And I think that's important. There are blessings and challenges mm -hmm. to being a third cultural kid, third culture kid. The reason they call it third culture kid, maybe we should de dedicate actually an episode I've wanted to have them, by the way, <laughs> on the episode at one point, yeah, uh, and they just are not willing right now. Um, uh, they're at that age That's where it's weird. Just, they're seventeen and nineteen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, but there, it's important to know. It's called third culture kid because it's not just missionary kids. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, this could happen with um, you know parents or business people, businessman or businesswoman, and then they happen to be in a different culture. Uh, you know, people that are in the military, uh, uh, kids that grow up and are sons or daughters of diplomats, you know? And so uh, there is this third culture. Eh, my parents are from a culture and I'm kind of from that, but I've lived more in this culture, but I'm not really from this culture either. So it develops into a third culture. I'd be interested in knowing maybe a little bit of Dario's perspective. One thing that we've noticed in just Caribbean nations in general is we just internally in our home call it island hopping. It seems like there's somebody that's maybe born in one nation and then they go and spend, like I know you went to Trinidad for university and you married Linda from Guyana and you're back in Barbados. And <laughs> do you feel like there's a little bit of that like creation of third culture so that you can slide in and out of cultures? Or do you feel like there's issues or problems that, that it presents as well? Oh yeah, um, in the Caribbean, we are a lot of that. So you will know from even in the Panama Canal, a lot of Barbadians, mm -hmm. Bajans went over there and contributed to building that. Then there's a, the OECS, there's a group of smaller islands mm -hmm. where you could travel just with your ID card. So you don't need a passport wow. because of the regional integration movement. So you find people from St. Lucia living in Dominica mm -hmm. and you know, and then back in the day like early back in the day when there were more plantation fields there were a lot of shifting you know barbadians both with the guyana so you could always hear somebody in the caribbean tree say oh man you're from barbados my great grandfather was from there mm. you know so there's a lot of that right throughout all of the islands you know but i think for me i always tell people and, they, and they, people don't take me serious when they say i i tell them that i would trade all of my traditional education, all of my degrees for my cross-cultural experiences. Like if I had to choose between the two, wow. I would give back my bachelor's and the master's, just keep the cross-cultural experience mm -hmm. because I don't think anything has shaped me, or shaped my perspective, shaped the way I interact and relate with people like crossing and engaging in different cultures. I know it's a bit different because you know, the only place that I lived in, I lived in South Africa for three months. I was in Trinidad for four years, which is radically different mm -hmm. to growing up in a whole different space. But there's an invaluable perspective that you bring that only crossing cultures can do. You can't read it in a book. Mm -hmm. You can't watch it on TV. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't learn it at school. It's just by being there that you learn. So... Um, so when I, as I, as I heard, you know, this way, it was, it was good what Scott mentioned about, you know, just the difference that it would bring about amongst their peers, you know, their ability to engage and to see and to relate from a whole different worldview, a whole different perspective. And then also be able to be so much more gracious and willing to learn. 
Yes. I think one of the things that Crossing Cultures has taught me or taught me early is just how arrogant I could be. You know, I could assume, I think that I know. I have mm-hmm. the answers. I know why you behave like this or why you do that. And then you cross cultures and you realize you don't know anything. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> Even if it's like a sister culture, yeah, right? Even it's, if it's like, oh, it's another Caribbean nation. Yeah, you still have to learn. Anything, you know? <laughs> and, and it just makes you so much more... It, it makes you take a step back and pause and realize, okay, mm-hmm. this. let me learn first. You know, let me ask the right questions first, which is unique in teenage years yeah. because teenagers... Teenagers adopt a mentality where they don't want to learn anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they think right. they got it figured out. Right. I would say we'll be excited, you know, just to hear how that unfolds, you know, how he's able to operate in that space. But definitely in the Caribbean, we have these realities for sure. Yeah. yeah. I've seen the same. I have some friends, they they are like that. And I've seen how how they are. They are so open to learn from others. I have a friend, he his parents are from Nicaragua, but he was born in Belize. And now he's living in Mexico. There you <laughs> so, go. <laughs> so he has like mix mix of yeah. cultures. And he's so open and he's so vulnerable. And he's always trying to learn from others. And I think this is something valuable, yeah. as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing that Elia, it's like that as well. But by the way, the toughest question to answer for a third culture kid is, where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it should be so easy, right? We, well, I'm from Barbados. Well, I'm from Dominican Republic, right? And, but they're just like, well, I was born here. My parents are from here. Now I live here. It's like, what? what okay. I didn't need the whole novel, you know, for you to tell me. Oh, but Emily, did you say there was a, a third thing? that? Yeah, just the last thing that I've been thinking about, and this is probably more from a parental heart and a mom's heart, is like, this is the first time that my son's going to live in a different country. Like he's leaving my house and it's not that he's just going to university, which is a huge step, but he's going to live almost 2000 miles away from us. And he's going to be experiencing all of that culture shock of, I mean, he's going to go to a school that's near Chicago and we've been watching the Chicago weather during this past winter. And there were times that it was like negative 20 degrees. (laughs) Eli just never owned a winter coat in his life. (laughs) So, Like even some of like just the easy things that you'd be like, oh, well, somebody can roll with the punches on that. I've just as a mom been thinking he's 2,000 miles away and we definitely are going to have our work cut out for us to walk alongside him in culture shock when we're not with him. Mm -hmm. And um, God's given me like more sympathy maybe. And I don't even think it's, maybe it's becoming empathy, but like how our parents felt when, when they said, oh, you're like actually going to Guatemala. Like, you know, for years I've known Elijah's going to leave and go to college somewhere, most likely in the United States. And we've gotten to that time and it's just become a new reality of like, oh, you are going to live very far away from me. And even though we can FaceTime, even though we can call, it's not the same as seeing you every morning when you wake up and get out the door and and I give you a kiss goodnight before I go to bed and stuff like that. So yeah, those things are definitely going to bring change changes in our, in our home and in our family, good changes, but, um, it's given me more empathy and sympathy for our parents and even parents that let go of their children to say, go do God's work in another nation. It's given me a a greater appreciation for those parents. Well, and maybe somebody's listening and and we would just say, pray for 
missionary families. Pray for missionary families and some of them that are going through, and we would ask you to pray for us, <laughs> uh, but pray for the families that you know that are kind of going through some of these transitions. Speaking of a transition, I think we need to ask Dario, hey, this is the first time we've asked you as part of the part of the new podcast. It might here. be kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> what, what has God been teaching you or what have you been thinking about? Yeah, I just, I think just because of where this time has fallen i've been thinking a lot about generosity mm. um mm. and how do we create a culture of generosity as opposed to just challenging people to give you know um and the reason why i've been thinking about this more and more is as we begin to see the global shifts there are a lot of shifts happening in global mission uh whether it relates to you know, as we read some of the stats from the previous episode, how Africa and Asia are rising in their membership, there's a decline happening in America, who who happens to also be um, the majority funder of so much that happens across the world. And then just thinking about where we are at in the Caribbean, thinking about the opportunities and this whole idea of, you know, maximizing our potential and realizing that a part of that must be you know, not just participating in the mission, but funding the mission, mm. you know, and uh, thinking how can we become more uh, dependent internally than having such a level of external dependence on, on what we can or what we cannot do. So I've been wrestling a lot with, you know, how do we make the shift from just, you know, we're so good at challenging people to give and, you know, giving the right stories and the right, you know, because fundraising is a skill, you know, mm-hmm. like if you read the right books, you go yep. to the right places, hang around the right people. <laughs> there are some people who just have, you know, like I have a friend in mind, like whenever we need to raise funds, I just send him totally. because <laughs> he's going to bring back something, you know, they're just people who have this skill. But I'm thinking even as we read these scriptures, as you read how the church in the book of Acts unfolds, that there's this, they, they associate generosity with Christian identity. You know, this is what Christians do. We are generous. We give of our last. We give supernaturally. You know, we sell our, we sell our homes and, <laughs> and bring the money and share it with everybody. And, you know, we have become so... I don't know what's the word, you know. I, I know <laughs> we have become so selfish. Mm. That's the best way in our ideology and have all of these reasons and excuses as to why we shouldn't be bigger givers or to why we can't support or we can't be the ones to fund this as opposed to looking on the back end and saying, all right, how do we really solve this problem? You know, how do we, how do we not look at the current external circumstances, but we look at, what the Bible instructs us to say, and we see a culture, a heart of generous people emerging, which I don't think the first measurement will be how much money we're giving to, to missions, but it's how are we giving amongst ourselves, you know? How are we giving in our community? And once that culture is created on the ground level, it would only trickle all the way over, you know, to all the other spaces, whether it be WEF or these other funds that we are challenge to give to so that's been on my mind you know in our caribbean context which is built on such a a heavy culture of dependency for so many years you know we have depended on everything outside of us for so long how do we now shift that and 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 come to grips with the fact that we can 
You know, if God has called us to this thing, he can use us to contribute and to provide and to give for it to, you know, be maximized the way he wants it to be. So that's me, not my mind. We have seen that um, as a church, we are a generous people. Uh, We've certainly seen that. I'm curious from your uh, standpoint, there are many people that, I mean, Emily and I have now been for, you know, almost 20 years in the ministry that's tried to say any nation, every nation can be sending missionaries. Every nation can, but also supporting missionaries, not just we want to send our missionaries from our place and then somebody else support them. Mm. Where are we at in the Caribbean? Where are we at from your perspective in truly sending and supporting our own missionaries? It's happened. It's happened. We're not at zero, but do we need to grow in certain areas? Yeah, we definitely need need to grow. Um, But I think, I, I, I can say this confidently that I think there are some districts in the Caribbean right now that have the capacity to send and to sustain missionaries. They do. Um, I, I know a lot for a fact that they do and they are willing to, to do it as well. Um, but then there are other areas where obviously growth needs to take place. Um, I think some of it has to do with structure. You know, how do we navigate the structures to be able to effectively do this? And then I think there's some areas, again, where just leaning back again on that dependency mentality. You know, um, we grew so familiar to everything coming from outside. You know, it's it's, it's part of the the challenge of, you know, our history, you know, just having this this mentality that, you know, um, you know, it's like, if it comes from a foreign place, it's better than what we can create inside, mm, yep. you know, but that has, we, we have began to see shifts in that. And the shift has began from the contribution of missionaries. And so there's a greater sense in our region that, you know, our people can now be missionaries. We can go, we can yeah. contribute to church planting and church development as serving the different areas and needs and that we have on the ground. I think initially, I actually believe it was okay or it is okay in these beginning phases to, because we are one church, despite the different cultures, the different, you know, geography. I think if the Caribbean region now comes to grips that their people can go as missionaries, I think it is okay to lean on and depend on regions who have the capacity to support that in the beginning phases. So if I come to, you know, the North American church and say, hey, you know, we have these individuals who they feel called, they have the capacity, the opportunity is open. um, Can you contribute to sending them? But that can't be the end game. Mm -hmm. You know, that must be engaged on a level of, we want to start, we need your support to get this started but we must also have a plan and a strategy to transition into even if, you know, it isn't a 100% transition, but your percentage of contribution goes down and our internal contribution goes up. And I think that's where some of the conversation now needs to take place in the sense of uh, how do we take greater levels of ownership, not just for sending, but to funding. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about creating cultures of generosity mm-hmm. in the yep. region. Yeah. And I like what you said. Uh, it is about create the culture of generosity. <laughs> it is not something that is going to come up just because yeah. or we're going to pray about this and then suddenly poof we're going to be we're, we're <laughs> going to start to be generous. It's something we need to practice. It's something we need to start yeah. doing. 
And I remember my personal life about <laughs> like talking about generosity. I, it was something that I was praying a lot about God because I was stingy. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a good that's way to say it. I, I was stingy and I was like, God, you know, we need to work on this. But then I was like, okay, but I need to start to work on it. Um, and I remember I was doing a devotional and uh, talk, a generosity devotional. And at the end of the devotional, they, they uh, advise us to have a challenge. Now for three weeks, we need to give away 10, 10 things we have that we are not using yeah. first. Mm. And the three last days, we had to give away things that that we really want to keep <laughs> and it was really hard <laughs> <laughs> but after doing this i was able to see how was how my heart was changing i was able to give away more and more and more so i think it's about practice we need to yeah. start doing we need to start giving we yeah. need to start at least with five dollars to one missionary this yeah. is a way to start it doesn't have to be like a big thing but just start with generosity i think that's we need to start doing as you said to create that yeah. culture yeah i agree i think about um as i've been thinking as you've been speaking about you know just creating the culture and that word generosity like thinking about what did the primitive church look like like it was filled with people that were not millionaires. Yeah. They weren't rich, you know, like even the rich man that comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, go sell everything yeah. that you've got and yeah. follow me. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I can't imagine that the primitive church was just filled with tons of money. Mm -hmm. However, they were known for generosity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like, so yes, it can exist. The church that is persecuted, the church that is oppressed, the church that is downtrodden, the church that is, you know, filling all of the blanks is the church that is generous. Yeah. And I think about how do we bring that culture back yeah. then? We, we, how did we walk away from it so far? Yeah. How did we get to a place that it's like only the people that have money are able to give money to the church? <laughs> Yeah, because especially when I think about like our denomination as the Church of the Nazarene, in the early 1900s, Phineas F. Brazil literally wanted the Church of the Nazarene to be a place for the marginalized of society. Right. Well, what does that church look like when you speak about a generous spirit? It speaks about the widow's might. To me, yeah. I think about who's the person in the Bible then that Jesus literally pulls up out of everybody and says, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that this woman has honored me. She had nothing left and she still brought it to the Lord yeah. and said, you're going to take care of all the rest. And I think that there's a lot of lessons that we need to continue to dig into. And man, if I can play a part in anything that you're doing to create that culture, count on me because I would love and, and desire to see our church become more of that church as well. Yes. Yeah, that's good. Um, we, we recently did a, there's this organization, I don't know if you guys ever heard about it, called Generous Church. Mm -hmm. And the, the, their ministry is actually helping to create uh, material to design training for creating generous cultures or cultures of generosity, which I love. And uh, what I love about the training is it is, it is what, what do you say, um, open source. So okay. it's unbranded, you know, it could be adopted to... To mm -hmm. any you know any organization, so as I think it trust be develop it, I would definitely engage um, both you and Scott on it. Um, but I think just coming back to what Natalie would have mentioned as well, and even you, Emily, it is something that has to be practiced. You know, it has to be done. Mm -hmm. I think why you use the word culture is because we know it becomes cultural when it isn't 
driven by crisis. Right. You know, we, you know, like we talked before. You know, we we love to give around issues, around crises, but. I begin to see it, you know, like how, like how we, how we teach holiness, you know, we don't practice cultural holiness. You don't be holy based on the culture that you're in, you know, or, you know, Jerry Bridges wrote about being, being matching your holiness to the holiest person in the room, you know, (laughs) you know, you you, you are holy because God is holy, you know, we should be generous because God is generous, Mm -hmm. you know, despite of whatever is happening around us, whether you have much, or you have little, um, so that's something that has been that I'm wrestling with. You know, with me first, how do I create a culture of generosity in my house? Mm-hmm. You know, right. but then how does that you know filter out? And, and I like how you both have said, you know, let's start with us. Yeah, I mean, we are leaders; we have influence. We can uh, urge others on, but also this means I have to give something from my closet away, yeah. and this means <laughs> I, I need to start giving and. Well, this is good. Uh, We've been thinking about a lot of different things. We'll continue this in another episode, but Emily, if they would like to kind of touch base with us and and ask uh, any questions on on the two topics that we've talked about today, how can they do that? Yeah, we'd love to engage the topic with you on our Facebook page, which is the Worthless Servants Podcast. You can listen to this episode or any other episode that we've ever recorded on mesoamericagenesis.org. You can also find us on iTunes, and I would very rarely do we plug this, but find us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Yeah. It's going to show up in all of your feeds if you're a Spotify person or or however you listen to this podcast. If you go to iTunes, it will show up magically for you, and you can thank us for that later with a five-star review. Yeah, <laughs> it, it does make a difference. It yeah, truly it does. does. Subscribe, rate, review. That always is said on almost all of my podcasts that I listen to. <laughs> and YouTube channels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It does make a difference. Yeah, um, but it, it truly does. It truly does. We're doing this because we feel like it can make an impact on the local church and on our region. So uh, with that said, we are the Worthless Servants, and I'm Scott Armstrong. I'm Dario Richards. I'm Natalie Franco. And I'm Emily Armstrong. And we'll talk with you next time. For more information, visit us on Facebook or at mesoamericagenesis.org.